Welcome to The Returning Citizen. We want to remind our listeners that the U.S. has the highest rate of incarceration of any country on Earth. Most of these folks return home as our neighbors, thousands per year in Detroit alone. Everybody wins when we help these returning citizens be successful. The Returning Citizen strives to help people coming out of prison and their families by sharing success stories, connecting available resources, and building supportive community. Thank you so much, Imani. I'm Jacob Smith, co-founder of the podcast, The Returning Citizen, and I am joined by my two faithful co-hosts today, (laughs) Imani Mixon, who you just heard from. Imani, you want to introduce yourself? I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Imani Mixon. I'm a Detroit-based and embraced writer, and I'm happy to be here today to learn new things. And Eric Burgess. I'm Eric Burgess. First of all, I'd like to thank our viewers, thank our guests. Uh, I'm a returned citizen who was incarcerated up under mandatory drug life and law, uh, <clears throat> served 18 years up under this law until it was rectified in 2006. He rounds out our beautiful co-founder host <laughs> <laughs> panel. Absolutely. And today we have a very special guest, Azzy Caldwell. Azzy is a creative designer for RebelNell, an amazing uh, Detroit-based company that we'll be talking about a little bit in a few minutes. Uh, she's also a mother and was formerly incarcerated herself, which we'll be talking about today. So today, we're going to be discussing both Azzy's story, but also as it pertains to, more generally speaking, women in the criminal justice system in the U.S. Oftentimes, when we talk about criminal justice issues, people focus on men because there are so many more men in prison just by sheer number. But many people probably don't know that women are actually the fastest growing segment of the prison population. The rate of growth for female imprisonment has outpaced men by more than 50% between 1980 and 2014. And there are approximately 1.2 million women under supervision supervision of the criminal justice system today in America. So not a small number. There are lots of women currently in prison, and they face many unique issues uh, as opposed to their male counterparts. And that's what we are going to be digging into today. So first and foremost, Azzy. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm re- How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm happy to be here today. Fantastic. Um, I also do just before we dive in, want to mention that anytime we uh, touch on a program or something specific, we'll be including links in the SoundCloud and Facebook description. So we'll have all that as well. So Azzy, you spent some time in prison. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Um, could you tell us just a bit about what happened and how you how you got into that situation? Well, um, growing up in a family that um, I was raised by uh, a mother that was a booster. If you don't know what a booster is, um, retail fraud, um, and and I actually caught my first case when I was 11 years old and I uh, went to juvenile um, because I was the youngest of my mom's children and I was the shortest and um, my aunt and my mother um, they actually uh, did, they boost together and they would take furs and things of that nature so at a very young age I was counting a lot of money um, I would say at eight, nine years old, my mother would have me on the passenger side, and I would be counting thousands. And so I um, became addicted to money and the thrill of how fast you can make it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and not to mention uh, a father, you know, that abused drugs. And I've seen so much criminal activity throughout my lifetime. Um, well, my first case at 11 years old was a retail fraud case uh, because I was always, I was just a, a little criminal in training, if you will. Um, I don't think my mother intended for that. Uh, she just wanted to, wanted a better life for her children. So, um, so when I caught my first case there and then from then on, it was just like I would try to, at growing up, I would try to um, stay on a straight and narrow, but mm -hmm. that criminal thinking and that criminal activity, it's like if it get too tight, I know what to do. Mm -hmm. I can hit the streets by any means necessary. And um, I've did a great deal of things some I didn't, I wasn't incarcerated for. Mm -hmm. um, I've, it's retail fraud. I have like four charges of retail fraud, um, uttering and publishing, uh, identity theft, uh, importation into the United States. I was coming from Trinidad, uh, bringing cocaine back in my belly um, and my uh, vagina as well. And um, something I'm not proud of, uh, but <clears throat> criminal thinking is you struggle daily mm -hmm. to get rid of it um, because you're fighting against yourself you know it's especially when the going gets tough and you have to constantly look at do I want to go back to prison again I've already been twice mm -hmm. um, I went to state prison uh, the first time in 2000 and 2006 I went to state prison um, it was due to uh, me being angry uh, because I have a past of uh, being molested and um, physically, mentally abused, and and um, I thank God today that I'm living and I'm able to still be strong. Mm -hmm. um, but when I lost my daughter in '05 on Christmas Eve, and um, I was six and a half months pregnant, I, that's when I kind of took a turn for the worse. And I didn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, this is the thanks that I get. When is it gonna get better, God? Mm -hmm. You know. So I um I started doing Grand Theft Auto. Um I was doing uttering publishing. Um I was doing retail fraud all at the same time, simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Every day. Um and I ate free. I didn't pay. I felt like the world owed me something, you know. And I got a thrill out of getting away with things because it was like, okay, I could feed my whole family. You know, I would. It would make me feel better to be able to feed my whole family. And I'm not just talking about my husband and my daughter. I'm talking about my whole family. Right. So, um, I it came to an end, basically, because. When you're living in a fog, it's always going to come to an end. You know, you may feel like you're invincible and it's going to, okay, nobody sees me. I, oh, I know how to slick them. But that's just, you play with your mind. It's the tricks that you play in your mind. 
and um but so I end up getting caught at a CVS in uh, St. Clair Shores. I was uh, writing checks. It was during Halloween time, and I was just going for broken. And and what I was doing was I was actually helping someone else. I was like going to get diapers and stuff. Like I was the type, and I'm still that type of person. And I'm working on my self preservation. Mm-hmm. If I saw a need. I'm there to help you. I'm not going to see nobody without no diapers, no food, no nothing. Right. And I even did walkouts. I take the plate off the car and I'm walking out. If the, if the kid's not eating, guess who taking? Right. I am. Right. So that's, you know, that's how that was. And um, and so I, um, I um, they called me at a CVS and... And the crazy thing, criminal thinking is so crazy because when you're in a wrong, you have made yourself believe that you're so right to the point that you fight for what's wrong. Right. I'm in the store fighting with the man, the cashier, like, no, give me my check back. And I know it's not even my name. It's not my ID. Just give me my check back. But I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to get away. Give me this evidence back. And I'm leaving. Mm Mm-hmm. But it didn't work. So uh, they caught me and I had a lot of stuff in the car because I was just like on a check writing spree that day. And um, so I uh, end up getting, they gave me a year in state prison. Mm -hmm. And I went through Scott's Correctional Facility for, in, um, what is that called? Mm, quarantine. Mm-hmm. When you come through, I had to do 45 days of quarantine. And this was when there were still prisons open for women. Now it's nothing but, uh, I believe it's just Huron Valley right now that we have, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Okay. So, um, so they still had camps and other facilities open for women. And um, so I was there for 45 days. Then... I had this dream. My aunt that, her, uh, my aunt, the one I was talking about with my mother, you know, when they were boosting and what have you, she was there. Well, she was at uh, Huron Valley. Mm-hmm. So I had this dream before I went. And I'm very spiritual, just to put that out there. <laughs> um, and my aunt was on the yard and she was like, Azzy, come here, big head. And the next day I rolled out. And when I got there, um, I seen her, and I wasn't supposed to be screaming because you have to go through medical and all that when you transfer facilities. My aunt was on the cane, and um, and uh, she welcomed me. And uh, when we went to the child hall, and Lord knows I hate that word, the child <laughs> hall, like we dogs or something. Right. Like we're not dogs. What do you mean child hall? So, well, first of all, getting to here, Ryan Valley. All that barbed wire, and it was like a dark cloud. It was just like, oh my god! Like I'm really in prison. Mm-hmm. And then they put me in a unit with uh, women um, that had molested children and did, you know, that what I really don't like. And so I was only there for six days, but. Um, my aunt 
my aunt, uh, when I went to the child hall, she had a talk with me, and she said, you know you're blessed to experience this. Mm. How am I blessed? I'm in prison. What do you mean I'm blessed? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, it didn't dawn on me until until now, really, until me doing my sentence, my federal sentence, and basically I was blessed to see that, you know, to experience that because it makes you stronger. Um, and you learn from it. A lot of people don't learn from their criminal activity. They can just go and go and like my auntie, she mm, is a K prefix. If K prefix means that she's been to prison, what, 11 times? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I ended up doing a year with that, and um, I went to a camp. I believe I went to Camp Brighton after they. I went from um, Huron Valley. I went to Camp Brighton to finish out my year of sentence. And I did a lot of exercising and soul-searching and um, saying, Lord, I'm not going to do it anymore, and I promise you. And that, But I really meant it. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, I wanted to change, but the prison system just don't have enough um, programs in place to help women that really, really want help. They give more help to women that's on drugs versus women that's um, addicted to money mm-hmm. um, or been molested or you know has a, a like some past, of the deeper less right, apparent traumatic experiences yeah. and really that's not fair that's not fair at all because it's it's the same thing you may be addicted to drugs but I'm addicted to money no addiction is different mm-hmm. you know and um so I did my year there and I got out and I tried to stay on the, the right path and um, I went to culinary school in Pittsburgh, and you know, and I tried to balance it. And but I was married. I got married at seventeen, and being married um, to a husband that was selling drugs, you know, it was. I was trying to fight for me and him, trying mm-hmm. to get out, and that's why I went to Pittsburgh to try to say, you know, come on and take the family, and we're going to go on a new journey. Um, well, that didn't work out, so um, I ended up doing coming back doing my internship here after um, I left the Cordon Blue, and I did a little bit of dibbling and dabbling through those years. In between that, I still was doing my little retail fraud or whatever because the sickness is still there. Mm-hmm. It's a sickness, mm-hmm. and so um, when I came back. Um, throughout those years because the time span of me being in, in state prison to federal was like approximately 12 years mm-hmm. and so um, I got tired of working little oddy and jobs and trying to go to school but I couldn't focus because it was a lot of things going on in my family I had to withdraw and you know things of that nature and so I got off into um, doing other things on the streets, mm-hmm. you know, um, pushing some pharmaceuticals. I can't say some things I can't say 
to because I haven't been incriminated for some mm-hmm. of those things. Mm-hmm. But um, um, what I went to federal prison for, um, I was importing cocaine from uh, Trinidad. Um, coming from Trinidad, I had did it once before. I panicked because I was off into some other things and the money started getting funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm a panicker when when the money got down to three or four thousand dollars, I'm like, oh no, I gotta make a move. Mm-hmm. So um so I um I'm a people person. So I took a trip to uh Jamaica with some friends and that wasn't really on my mind to import cocaine, but this this is just how I am. I'm a social butterfly and just like, oh, wow, okay, mm-hmm. I can make some money like that. And <laughs> the thing that scares me about me is fear. I don't really fear too many things. I only, I only fear God, and that scares me because that's how I end up being incarcerated twice mm-hmm. because just didn't care so um I um I was going to Jamaica a couple times or whatever and had a friend over there and uh long story short I end up uh, getting caught in Texas um I had a half a key of cocaine and um I had about maybe 36 pellets in my belly I was a Jamaican guy that trained me mm-hmm. how to swallow. How to ingest it. Right. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it, I carry it vaginal. And um, I got away with it the first time. Um, but I was greedy. So I went back the next month thinking, okay, I'm not going to Jamaica this time. I'm going to Trinidad. So I went to Trinidad and got popped and I had another lady with me she was from Trinidad Uh, my contact it was his girlfriend and what have you and uh, one thing my mother always taught me was if you're going to do something you do it by yourself and so I broke one of my rules and I let her come with me and it was a the biggest mistake of my life because she blamed everything on me I was trying to help them um, because they needed money for some reason and blah 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 it was she said that it was um, all of my idea I taught her how to swallow the pellets and you know on and on and but um, I was blessed though with that case because I could have done more time they end up giving me like 46 months Mm -hmm. and um, but I only did two and a half in prison and then they let me out and I went to the halfway house the only reason why I did two and a half was because they passed the drug minus two law okay what does that mean the drug minus two law okay they have a chart where when they sentence you it goes by the quantity of drugs that you have and so when they passed that law it dropped your levels down okay by two so a lot of people have came home and still are coming home from that law being passed 
and um, being in Aliceville, I'm going to talk about a little bit experience of Aliceville. And that's the federal. That's the federal facility. Yes. And um, hmm. well, when I turned myself in in Virginia, West Virginia, um, they needed a body count in Alabama. Uh, they were opening up a new facility, Aliceville, Alabama. And so they shipped me there. Lord knows why, because they took me further away from my family. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that they do. They rip you away from your family. You looked at my number and you saw that I had a Texas number, but you, I'm from Detroit. Right. Why would you pull me away from there? And I have a daughter, you know, so they pulled me from there. I uh, went to Alabama and going in, I thought, you know, during my state time, you know, before I even turned myself in, everyone was like, oh, you'll be fine because the the federal, you know, feds will take care of you and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. That's BS. <laughs> you saw my face, right? Okay. That's total BS. In a state prison, you can have your own TV. Um, and you can have your, your privacy of, you know, plugging up your headphones to it so you can watch it or what have you. In a federal prison, you have to watch TV with everyone else. And you can't listen to, well, let's say in Aliceville, Alabama, because it was like 85% the population was Spanish. Mm -hmm. And we had a little war going on about the TVs and so they made us get mp3s and you couldn't listen to the tv unless you had an mp3 mm -hmm. you know so that wasn't good for some of the women that couldn't afford it because it was like almost a hundred dollars right. to get an mp3 player and it the the difference was and and when i got to west virginia it was three women in a cell this is inhumane Mm -hmm. Three women in a cell, and it's a toilet and a sink. The first of all, three women, and it's it's so tight and so narrow, and it was just totally unbelievable to me. I was like, how could they get away with this? Like this is this legal? Mm -hmm. So, um, they shipped me from Virginia. I went to Aliceville. Um, only had it was two women in there. We still had the toilet and the sink, um, but there was hell because it was eighteen hundred women. We had to share. I was behind the fence because I had a, a charge prior to coming there, and they, you know, they do all the numbers and do your guidelines and what have you. And um, they said I was uh, violent, but I'm not violent. You know? when, you, when you say behind the fence, could you elaborate? Behind the fence is um, that's where they put you with the rest of the population that's violent, um, that is doing a lot of time. Like the population is, is different um, in a federal facility. Like you're mixed with people women that's doing um, life 15 years it's, it's all, you can have someone in there that's doing 6 months you know and you're just mixed together you're behind mm -hmm. the fence versus going to a camp 
when you go to the camp, you have a little bit more freedom to go to the yard and the times, and um, but you spend more lockdown time behind the fence. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of mentioned how you said you don't fear anything but God, right? Yes. So, and I'm sure that's something that you've worked up to, like you've been through enough where you had to kind of get that defense mechanism going. Were there any moments of fear during that? Because you had never been someplace like that. Like, were you afraid of anything or unsure about what you were about to experience there? Um, I really wasn't, I wouldn't say afraid. I was just uncomfortable and knew that I had to do some adjusting, adapting, mm-hmm. and I had to mentally set myself up for that because being incarcerated, it, it has its it's his own world mm-hmm. and even you know when people are dying out here someone's sick or whatever you only get a moment to cry you only get a moment to get yourself together otherwise you're going to act out and you're going to end up in a hole or shoe depending on what facility you're in they call it different things um, so you constantly are numbing yourself the world is still going out here um I lost so many people while I was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I really wasn't afraid of anything because I was solely working on myself, trying to figure out how did I end up in this again? But I already felt it coming with both times going mm. to prison. Okay. I told my best friend, I told others, like, either I'm getting ready to die or I'm going to prison. And you can, and I believe that's with any human being. You know, but it's up to you if you take heed to that. Definitely. And I definitely want to get into some of the interactions or issues that you face that you feel are directly related to you being a woman in prison because I think being a woman in the world is already a unique experience but to introduce that to different environments I'm sure there are other things involved so um, were there any moments that felt like extremely trying to you as a woman in particular or like maybe the men don't have to go through this in this way oh 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 (laughs) (laughs) oh yes Because being a woman, we are nurturers, Mm -hmm. emotional creatures. And when you have children, especially, that's hell. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest part. That's what tears you down if you're connected to your children like that. Right. And I was very close and still is very close to my daughter Mm -hmm. because of what I've experienced through my life. I made sure that I gave her as much as I could possibly. Mm -hmm. And that was the most trying time for me because trying to parent from prison is not easy. And and, and when I was... (sighs) In a federal prison, my daughter was um, in her senior year, and that was 
it's a feeling that you can't even put into words. I did all that work. Mm-hmm. Sent her to Europe. Sent her to do this. Talk to her about the streets. Try to make sure she was well-rounded so she wouldn't experience what I experienced. Mm-hmm. So that was the most trying part for me. And that was... I'm glad that God gave me my daughter because if he didn't, there's no telling what I'd be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Because she is my my guidance, my director. Like, wow, don't do that. Even when she was little. You know. So that was the most trying for me. Excuse me. No problem. I believe it. And, and it sounds like, you know, everything you just kind of took us through our natural human emotions that as you evolve and develop you know you have decisions to make you have to decide how much you will take and won't but it just seems like um the world that you grew up in and the activity that you were introduced you kind of made you more vulnerable to being redirected right yeah so i think that it's valid that you know you still want to take care of people you want to know what your future is like you want to provide for yourself so it's just really interesting to hear that pushed up against the means that you had to use to get what you needed. Yes. So I just wanted to say that that wasn't a question. That was just, <laughs> I hear you. I understand that that has to be, that has to be really tough. It is. Yeah. And it was. One, one other issue I want to uh, highlight here, and thank you so much for, for sharing your story, Izzy. Seriously. No problem. Just another issue that I I wanted to highlight with regards to unique issues that women face in prison. In researching, preparing for this this conversation, I found from the Bureau of Justice Statistics the fact that 86% of women in jail report having experienced sexual violence in their lifetime. So the report was highlighting the fact that some standard correctional procedures like shackling, full body strip searches, Supervision by male staffers with showering and dressing and, and using the bathroom, things like that, can very reasonably have uh, you know a variety of, of negative impacts, um, including re-traumatization. So without uh, prying and your own personal experience, but I know you had kind of uh, mentioned a, a moment ago uh, your own experience with, uh, I'm not sure exactly how you phrased it, but with some sort of uh, sexual harassment in your past. Yes. That's something that, that, as a man, I hadn't thought about. The fact that things that, where men and women are both treated the same, mm-hmm. might have a, a different impact on women. Yes, very much so. Um, it's a lot of uh, sexual uh, harassment, abuse that goes on um, in the prison. Um, I observe a lot of it. Um, as far as the the males hitting on the women, um, you're talking about the the guards. Yes, the guards, the staff, mm-hmm, the officers. Um, I, I won't say any names, but when I was in Aliceville, um, I couldn't understand why all of the women they wanted to work in facilities. 
Well, why are all the women running down there? Well, come to find out, it was an officer that was uh, bringing in, I mean, cheap stuff, uh, nail polish, bubble gum, things that we don't have in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, nail polish, bubble gum, liquor, things of that nature. And he was just lining them up and basically having sex with them, giving them this tribute stuff. like. Mm-hmm. Um, and was also a woman that uh, became pregnant uh, by an officer in there as well. Um, so it's a lot of deep, dark stuff that goes on um, in there. Um, and then you also have officers talking to you like you're crazy for no reason. Um, that was my then that was another challenge for me because the inmates they didn't bother me you know they're my peers and I didn't really have to they knew that it's not what a lot of people think as far as like the women go the men are different right um if you were if you're laid back or what have you you don't really have no trouble like that you know you might get a couple of people that want to try you then you stand your ground and they don't bother you anymore but um there were officers a couple officers that picked with me because I was in peel line um because I actually when I was stripped of everything it, it I needed some type of medication so I had a psychiatrist uh, there and a therapist, and I had to go to pill line. And um, there were a couple officers that would just pick on, like, certain people or um, they having a bad day or whatever because they're human, too. Uh, they want to take it out on somebody. And most of the time, they take it out on the one that's, like, chilling not bothering anyone and I had this one incident because I didn't like people women standing up on me please just give me my space so I would stand outside of the line and they you know they would cut and all that because the line when you go to pill line you could be out there for like two hours Mm. just to get medication right just to get medication especially at Aliceville because we only had one doctor in the medical facility was it was ridiculous so um he started cussing me out like, you know, uh, stop cutting this line and da 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 da. I'm sick of y'all, and so I flipped out on him. I did because I'm not bothering you. Why are you bothering me? You know, and I used to tell him all the time that wasn't the only incident. It was another officer because just because I have on this color and you have on another color don't mean it can't be you behind bars mm-hmm. it could this could I could be your sister you don't treat me that way mm-hmm. so yeah it's a it's a lot of very unfair things going on behind walls and before you um were in federal at Aliceville did you seek any like psychiatrist or therapist or whatever yourself like do you think that maybe that would have helped to encounter before you were already like in the, a dire strait in a new place. I did. Um, 
when I got out of state prison the first time, I seek help, but I wasn't ready. Right. I still was playing a, a game in my mind, like, I'm strong, I could do this, I'm mm-hmm. just doing this just to see if I need a little help, and, you know, I, I got frustrated because they were like, oh, you can get SSI and blah, 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 and like, to me, I'm thinking, you know, that little money, what's that going to do for me? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I did seek the help, but I didn't use it in the right context. Right. It wasn't. Um, I thought I was. I thought I was running the game. I thought that I, I didn't. I wanted the help, but I didn't open up enough to receive it. Right. So. Yeah. So I I did seek help, but I did seek help, but I. It seemed like I end up. That my therapist and psychiatrist, they became a part of my game instead of them helping me. Mm, right. Like, let me just do this. <laughs> right. I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Because why I'm sitting here talking to you in session, it's like, okay, I got to go. I got to go make this move. I got to go make some money. Yeah. Because I was keeping up my paper trail. I thought I was playing this game. But I really wasn't doing anything but hurting myself. For sure. And can you walk us a little bit um, through, like, how you went from... Aliceville to you know being released and kind of returning back into society okay um I did the, the two and a half years there um I despite some of the uh ugly incidents there I did uh, meet some great women there um we wrote a book it's uh like it's like three other different authors. Um, it's a couple of women I'm waiting to be released uh, before we actually put the book out there. Um, so I did my most of my time in Aliceville, two and a half years, and then I went to um, Heartline uh, Halfway House, and I did about maybe six months there. Um, and it was difficult trying to balance uh, getting a job, doing what they wanted me to do, have to be back in the house at a certain time, and um, not having a vehicle. And I'm used to having what I need. Um, that was very difficult for me to um, try to balance all these things that I need to just for everyday living. You know, the just the necessities and um, just uh, getting back acquainted with society. It, it wasn't easy at all, and it's still not easy um, because I've only been out for, like, almost two years. And so I, going to the halfway house and uh, having to bow down and, get a little over minimum wage job and listen to people and and I it, when you used to being your own boss it's it's very difficult it's a whew, a humbling experience so um and I uh, still struggle with that uh, but all in all 
God has helped me through it and he's still helping me through it. And um, what can I say? Eric, did you have anything you wanted to, to add there? Uh, yes, but first of all, I need to call you Miss Caldwell because listening to your story is very powerful. And this is the first time I've sat down and uh, had a conversation with a formerly incarcerated woman. And it gave me a new perspective. I never thought about being incarcerated as a man. I never thought, uh, even talking to someone, I even thought about incarcerated women when I was incarcerated. I mean, it didn't cross my mind because I was doing life without no parole. So my goal is just to get out. But hearing your story, I have, to, I have great reference for you, uh, great respect. And I'm going to change my question. As far as you and your daughter relationship now and the way you went, I know it's very hurtful and emotional drain on you mentally, emotionally. How's your daughter, how's your relationship with your daughter now? It's stronger. Um, Me and my daughter are like best friends um, because I've had her at a young age. I had her at a young age. Um, at 17 years old, so it was like growing up like it was my little sister. Um, but our bond is much stronger, and she respect. She never lost the respect for me, even though I was incarcerated twice. Um, she always stayed on the honor roll. It, it seems like it motivated her more when I went to prison. It's, it seems weird, but... Um, she ended up graduating from high school with a 4.6. And um, even though I was involved in my criminal activity throughout the years, I made sure that I pushed her as hard as I could. Um, so our bond, it never broke because I always taught her that you don't have to lie to me. Or any about anything you can talk to me about anything. It's when you lie is when I'm gonna get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a familiar speech. <laughs> so it's um our bond never broke. It never broke. It's much stronger. I have one more question. Um, I know you can answer this. It's really, do you think, uh, you know, with our young black males now becoming almost a minister society, unfortunately, and we have major organizations uh, that's trying to help these young black men become productive citizens or men coming out of prison. But one thing I think should be developed is more women like you. You can talk to these young black men because somehow, I don't know if it's an ego thing, you know, the ego thing with men somehow can't reach these young black men or they would think uh, going to prison as a badge of honor somewhat. That's what I heard, unfortunately. I don't don't see how they conceptualize this idea. But I think, uh, like you say, women are nurturers. Mm -hmm. So I feel if more formerly incarcerated women what talks to these, not only young black men, but just young men, period, that's uh, disenfranchising themselves from society with this behavior. I think we can, they have more respect. 
they have more respect, I think, of really what's going on. Becoming, it can be like more mother figure, grandmother figure. I think they will have more respect just by uh, having that empathy towards and respect towards a woman. And I like, you know, if you can comment on that, do you disagree or agree? Um, I agree, uh, but when it comes to a male, I know um, because I have a lot of incarcerated uh, nephews and my brother and things of that nature, um, I dealt with it firsthand, talking to them and trying to get them not to go there um when it all boils down to it, it's up to the person whether they're ready to change or not because it's, it's, it's all about your thinking. It can, it can help, but at the same time, it's up to that person whether they want to change or not. So we have a, well, I have a saying I told my wife, aunt, uh, and she always told me, oh, I like that saying. I always say, the teacher will appear when the student is ready. That's and true. she was like, oh, I like that. I wrote that down. <laughs> so I, I, I go by that. I try to tell my daughter that. I say, well, yeah, I'm ready when you're ready. That's you right. Know, I'm ready when you're ready. So that's how I feel. But, you know, your story is very um, powerful, impactful to me, I know, I know, as well as others. So this um, podcast will be heard, you know, hopefully around the world. and Your story will be heard around the world. Azzy, when we were uh, when we were talking before we started recording, you mentioned something interesting in the car on the way here. In terms of how you work to get on your feet after emerging from prison, and I know this is something that Eric has worked on really hard as well, uh, you talked about the power of networking, putting yourself out there, meeting people, not just relying on programs that might be available, but also just meeting people and, exactly. and, 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 and working through a personal network. Can you just uh, speak to that quickly? Yes, um, a lot of times, um, although they say you're not supposed to be around anyone that has a felony or, you know, blase, blase. But that is your community that you network with because they have a job, you're having trouble getting a job, they can pull you in and you can get a job um, because I know... Um, when I go down to the uh, federal building, they have a book. That doesn't really help you as a person. Okay, it, it, it lets you need food, you need housing, you need blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't really help you as a person with getting a job. If if you've done five, ten years and or if you've been used to getting your money off the street and you haven't done a resume, it's been a while since you've been job hunting and, you know, things of that nature, it's, it's pretty difficult. So it's, it's easier to network inside that little community of people that's been previously incarcerated and um, others as well, you know, family member you really have to network hard when it when it seems like you're not going to get a job or is is things are not working out. It will happen. You just have to keep on pushing. One thing you have to keep in mind is is how you pushed out on the street. 
when you were in your criminal activity. I know how I was. It all starts with the way that you think. If I said I want to make $10,000 this week, I did everything and anything to get that $10,000. So you have to approach it with that same attitude, that same force, that same motivation in order to get back acquainted with society and to be able to change your thinking because it all starts with your thinking. Mm -hmm. And the listeners can't see this right now, but you're the first guest that's come in that matches perfectly with our soundproof wall. (laughs) 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 So I wanted to fast forward a little bit because, you know, we did a lot of reminiscing. (laughs) You did. You you got it. You got the whole whole dress code. Um, (laughs) We've done a lot of reminiscing and like retrospective talk, but I kind of want to fast forward because you've come through a lot. Like you have accomplished a lot. You are in a new place right now. So if you could just speak to you know, what you're currently working on and even, you know, Rebel Nail that you're repping so beautifully on your shirt. Like, how did you go from, I don't know, to networking to securing a new place in your life? Okay. Um, well, um, when I got to the halfway house, um, I started working at um, this hotel called Hampton Inn in Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a woman that I was previously incarcerated with that got me the job there. Matter of fact, she hunted me down. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know she knew I was there. Mm-hmm. So, but she was a manager there. And um, so I started working in the laundry room. And, um, but they worked me like a Hebrew slave. <laughs> like, it was like you would go to work at nine o'clock and you didn't know what time you were getting off because it depends on how many rooms you have. Mm-hmm. And it was just too much for my body. So um, I um, was just disgusted and exhausted, tired of that job. I was like, I have to find something else. So um, my sister uh, worked for a company called Rebel Nail, and they help uh, disadvantaged women. Um, They mainly hire out of cots, Mm -hmm. and with the exception of me. But I was still in transition because I was in the halfway house. Mm-hmm. So I asked my sister, and it's a very small company. I said, is, is someone else? And I had already asked her when I got out, and she was just like, no, there's no room here. So just so happened, she was like, yeah, one of the ladies, she's going on maternity leave. And um, my boss is going on maternity leave, so we're going to need someone. So I, um, that's when I became employed at Rebel Nail, um, and it was the best decision I could have ever made because it's 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 not just a job, it's a family. Mm-hmm. And what do you guys do over there? Can you speak to the, the work of it? We make jury out of graffiti. Um, Is that really graffiti paint that's falling off of paint. walls? And, yeah. yes. Right, that's so cool. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very beautiful. It's like um, the graffiti actually reminds me of uh, my experiences in life, you know, because when the paint falls on the, off the walls and it's on the ground and you just think, oh, this is just nothing. It's just some chip paint. But you can take that paint and you can process it and turn it into something beautiful. And all of our pieces are one of a kind pieces. Um, and uh, 
So I work for Rebel Nail, um, and I am a creative designer. And um, I hope to, when we open up another location, go to uh, different locations and help other women and teach them a skill. Um, because the the good thing about Rebel Nail, we're always um, evolving and um we're keeping up with different trends and so we're learning new uh uh like soldering and welding and mm-hmm. things of that nature and then we also have like other resources like um com- we have this company this organization called Community Adventures and they uh help you with um repairs on your vehicle um they help you purchase a car they um also, um, they give us gas cards, like every two weeks, $50. Um, we also have um, people that volunteer their time and come in. They, we do financial literacy, uh, just to name a few mm-hmm. things that um, Rebel Nail does. And uh, before I get too far off to the question. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> so so I, I could literally do this all day, mm-hmm. as your story is fascinating, and, and I couldn't again couldn't appreciate it uh more we we are kind of running low on time um i would love to hear just kind of any final thoughts that you might have anything that you didn't have a chance to share anything that you're working on that you're particularly excited about um the the mic is yours um well i'm currently working on a couple of books that i wrote um while i was incarcerated uh so look for those um within another year year and a half i should have them out um, and the only thing that I want to say is, is just check your thinking daily. Your thinking, it will never steer you wrong because the truly, that's where it's at in your mind. It's all in your mind. And that's all I have. Beautiful words to live by. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Azzy. We uh, hope to, to keep in touch. And we really do want to uh, – I would love to continue covering other specifically issues related to you know female incarceration, but also other topics that I think you can uh, shed light on. So we'd love to have you as a guest in the future as well. I'd be glad. Uh, I'd and be we really appreciate you coming by. And, excuse me. And you can bring your daughter too. You can explain her, you know, how it affect her or your relationship now. So. I'm sure she wouldn't mind. Right, right. I think <laughs> it Right, that's what I'm saying. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank Beautiful. you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.